for musicians, it's so hard to know how to make music when you can't be with other humans. Technology's been a big help with that, right? You see people putting together performances that are based on weaving together elements that have been built in separate locations. But we're all obsessed right now with how do we get back in the same room with each other and how do we get back in the same room with an audience? There's going to be a lot of creativity about how to turn that into something new and fresh. Hey everyone, Jeff DeVerter here, the host of Cloud Talk. Now the voice you just heard was from Troy Peters. Now Troy has been the musical director of the Youth Orchestras of San Antonio since 2009. Now in a world of COVID-19, where all live musical performances just stop, it creates an incredible amount of challenges. But as Troy will talk about, it's also created some amazing opportunities that might never have been considered. Now, as a musician myself and as a technologist, I really enjoyed the conversation with Troy, and it really hit home as someone who's heard these orchestras and seen Troy conduct. Now, if you're in front of your computer while listening, or even later, I'd encourage you to open a browser and head over to www.yosa, that's yosa.org, Youth Orchestras of San Antonio, and take a look at this impressive organization that impacts so many lives here in the greater San Antonio area. Now, don't forget to stick around after the interview is over. I've got some additional information for you, as well as a preview about our next episode of Clown Talk. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. So, Troy, I spend a ton of my time thinking about and talking about how technology uh, impacts uh, businesses. And, uh, and a lot of the conversations these days are how technology is helping those businesses along through their time. But in your role, it's very different uh, because we're thinking about this from the context of creativity. In this time of COVID, in this time of social distancing, um, tell me about the impact to the creative process that you've experienced. Well, you know, for musicians, the heart of what we do requires interacting with other musicians and interacting with listeners. So when we're in this time where human interaction in a physical space is so charged and so laden with threat and mystery, and we don't know what to do for musicians. It's so hard to know how to make music when you can't be with other humans. Technology has been a big help with that, right? You see people putting together performances that are based on weaving together elements that have been built in separate locations. Mm -hmm. But we're all obsessed right now with how do we get back in the same room with each other and how do we get back in the same room with an audience? There's going to be a lot of creativity about how to turn that into something new and fresh. I bet. That's incredible. But maybe we're getting just a tad ahead of ourselves. So uh, today, Troy Peters, uh, we're so glad that you're here. You are the musical director for Yosa. So a couple things. First of all, tell us what is Yosa? And then I'd love to know more about your background. So Yosa is Youth Orchestras of San Antonio. And it's plural, Youth Orchestras, because we have 500 young musicians who play in nine different groups. And we also run a summer camp and some school partnership programs, some of which are actually funded by the Rackspace Foundation. Mm. We are um, 
an organization that's committed to changing kids' lives through music. And that really grows out of the idea that we all have experiences in adolescence that help us unleash our own potential. And people think Mm -hmm. about the experiences they have in school or in theater or in scouting or in athletics or all these different places where they have some memorable experience where all of a sudden they went, whoa, I can Mm -hmm. do more than I realized I could do. So we're about trying to create those experiences. That's fantastic. Yeah. How did you end up in this role? How did, what what was your, your crooked road that brought you here? For me, I came from a non-musical family. I grew up with great, great parents, but they just, they weren't musicians. And I Mm. came to music through a public school music program. Then eventually my public school music uh, teacher kind of conscripted me into a youth orchestra and it was the youth orchestra that gave me this, this bigger picture of what music could mean. Um, there's this magical thing that happens when you have 90 or 100 musicians on stage and a 1,000 yeah. people in the audience, and everything starts cooking. You feel these kinds of uh, mm-hmm. connections that I hadn't experienced anywhere else. I knew what it felt like to turn a double play on the baseball diamond, and that was fun. Yeah. And I knew what it felt like to work with my boy scout patrol to, you know, Mm -hmm. erect a tent. And that was fun, but it wasn't anything compared to playing a Brahms symphony in front of an audience that fell in love with what we were doing. And so then I've spent my whole life trying to give that experience to young musicians and to audiences of professional orchestras. Right. And the first time that, that actually I got to know you was, was very one directional because I was in the audience when you were directing the uh, San Antonio Symphony, which was an, uh, an amazing experience. Uh, and, uh, and so it's great to get to know more about what you're doing with, with Yosa and orchestras here in San Antonio. And when we think about um, the experience of going to hear live music or the experience from a student who is a part of that and, and experiences for themselves what that life-changing difference is, whether they go on to be a professional musician or not, or this becomes just a formative part of who they are. But along comes comes February and March of 2020. And the way that you've worked as an organization or that orchestras have worked for literally hundreds of years falls apart. What what goes through your your head when you have to when you have to think, gotta call everybody up, gotta send out that email and say, don't come to rehearsal. Well, I think like everybody, there's this moment of um, trauma, traumatic shock. There's this moment where you go, you've been going 60 miles an hour and all of a sudden you're going zero. Mm. And what do you do, right? I think everybody went through that trauma in, in March or whenever it was in whatever region you're in of just hitting that wall. For Yosa, we came off of a remarkable concert with a Tejano singer doing a tribute to Selena, where we Mm. had a huge packed house at the Tobin Center in San Antonio, and it was a huge success. And then literally, like 48 hours later, we're canceling everything, sending out emails, there's not going to be a rehearsal this weekend. We started with, let's cancel this weekend and figure out what's going on. And of course, as, as happened with everybody, that turned into rolling extensions and We haven't played live since the beginning of March. For me personally, uh, it was the same thing. I had this great run in January and February where everything was cooking. I guest conducted the San Antonio Symphony. I guest conducted the Vermont Symphony. I was working on a piece of music that I was writing. Great stuff going on with Yosa. UTSA, where I conduct the orchestra, everything was going really well. And, And then all of a sudden, boom, 
nothing. And I think every musician in the world then had to look in the mirror and say, what do I do with, with my music from here? I'm fortunate that I still have an income, but a lot of my colleagues also had to say, what do I do to make a living? Every gig I had was canceled and I don't know when I'm going to work again. Right. It's incredible. And so I guess this becomes the part of the conversation where we start to think, talk about how technology started to fill in the gaps in some areas, became an outlet because musicians have to create. Musicians are going to find an audience um, uh, because it's part of who they are. Uh, but the audience just unfortunately couldn't be right in front of them. So how did how did technology start to, and we'll take it from a couple of angles because you brought a few things up. Let's start with Yosa. How did, how did technology start to fill in the gaps there? Well, very quickly, we realized we weren't going to be able to see our musicians anytime soon. We, we were pretty convinced we wouldn't be able to perform at the end of this season, but mm-hmm. we wanted to keep them working together. And honestly, we started with a very clear focus. We didn't want to give our kids homework. They already had enough homework mm-hmm. coming through all their Zoom classes, all their virtual learning at school. And so what we wanted to do instead was two things, foster and maintain their sense of connection and community with each other and encourage them to keep making music. And so a lot of the tools we have were pretty well suited to that. You know, you can provide content through YouTube videos and through Zoom meetings that can really engage and entertain. How how do we work together? So we were making videos about topics our kids had already been working on. We were encouraging our musicians to make performance videos at home, which Yosa was then sharing we started to work on virtual performance videos, which are starting to come together right now, actually. Yeah. Um, and virtual performance, of course, has become a big thing for all musicians during this time. That, right. you know, we can't play together in because of the latency that's, that's inherent in, in communicating online. We can't play live together online. But what we can do is make a plan and record our parts separately and then magically edit things together to make it look like we're playing live together at the same time. And you've seen all kinds of musicians doing that, right? There've been the Rolling Stones and Crowded House and lots of other legacy bands have been doing that. There've been um, a lot of great classical music content that's been put together that way, including, you know, full symphony orchestra performances with 60 or 70 independent tracks. And so we've been doing that at Yosa as well, giving, uh, giving our students instructions on, how to record and how to play mm-hmm. along with a click track and turn that into a sort of a magical virtual souffle of sound. And that's a great skill to learn because especially from a, um, from a classical perspective where they're not necessarily, aside from doing metronome work at home, um, wouldn't necessarily be um, familiar with using a click track to just do the, do the things that they do, you know, as musicians, you know, it's all about a metronome and learning time, but when you come together as the group to play, that's why we have a conductor conductor keeps everybody together and keeps the pace right. And, and so forth. So, um, so technology then becoming really the enabler, not just to, to get that along, but also to help them develop some new skills that maybe that weren't on the, on the syllabus for the spring, uh, for 2020. Absolutely. And, you know, don't get me wrong, everybody in the field of of music education has been talking about the struggles and frustrations, mm-hmm. but there's no question. There are also gifts that have come out of this, things we have learned that we will keep using 
even when we are able to be back together. The biggest of those for me is we're learning the value of video auditions. Oh. Traditionally in the world of classical music, auditions happen face-to-face in a room. Mm-hmm. At the professional level, they audition behind a screen to make sure that they don't have discrimination or judgment based on how people look. Huh. But for students, when we hear auditions, we see them, we see what they're doing because we want to be able to see what their left hand is doing and how they're Mm. developing their technique. So that's a scary thing when you're a kid to walk into a room in front of three or four or five old people sitting there with pads and they're writing down notes while you play. And well, now, because we can't have that face-to-face contact, everybody's doing auditions either through pre-recorded video or through teleconferencing like Zoom. Mm -hmm. And... In both formats, we're all saying, oh my gosh, this is so much better. For video auditions, the kids can do two or three or four takes and get what they want. And they're less nervous, so they're showing us their best work. For me as a judge, quite honestly, I can listen to something a second time if I want to really make sure, okay, what, what happened there? And maybe at the end of the process, after I've heard 500 young musicians, I might want to circle back and listen to the top three clarinet players one more time and and really make sure I know where they stand. Yeah, that's super interesting. I love hearing the stories about how, you know, nobody wanted to be in the situation that we're in and we all put together the right technology mix to help us continue. But the fact that we've 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 realized that there are, to, to use your words, golden nuggets that can be found and held on to uh, going forward. Um, so the fact that you would use that from a, from an audition perspective, um, and then how, how do you collect those? How are you, how are you guys utilizing technology to pull them all together? Well, that's a great question. I mean, the, uh, the, there's two elements going on. One is the delivery of material is actually mm-hmm. something that everybody's getting more fluent with, right? If people weren't already good at using cloud drives and things like that to share content, man, everybody knows how to do that. Now, my 12 year old son is, is incredibly fluent with how to upload a video and how to share a Google doc and work on something collaboratively with somewhere else. You know, and those are skills that he was sort of learning before, but they're way more, they're way more engaged right now. Yeah. And then the other thing I'm finding actually that I'm loving is that my colleagues and I, who could have picked up a phone and called each other for years are picking up a phone and calling each other or more frequently logging on to Zoom and talking to each other mm. about what we're doing. Because we're all figuring this, we're all building the airplane while we fly it. And exactly. so we've got to check in and go, hey, so how are you handling this? Mm-hmm. And you get good ideas from colleagues. We're doing a lot of, and I think this is happening in every field, right? We're doing a lot of gathering online in small groups and having you know Zoom cocktail hours where we kind of... Mm-hmm dissect what's working, what's not. Have you got a good idea to solve this problem? Yeah. Um, As a, as a technologist, I spend so much of my time. I look at the world through the lens of technology and I I look at, at environments or, or organizations that have existed for a long time. And I'll think to myself, you know, what would make this awesome would be to apply technology in this way. But you know what? Most most organizations, most businesses are just, you know, they're too busy doing the job of their business and there's no forcing function. And, and COVID has been that forcing function to turn the lights on to the fact that there may be better ways, not necessarily to do something, but to augment the experience. 
Absolutely. You know, another example for us is we've for years done masterclasses where you have a guest artist who's in town and this person is some eminent composer or conductor Mm -hmm. or, you know, cello soloist. And you invite all the kids to come down and meet this person. And it's, uh, it's a, it's a huge part of our tradition and it's true in all styles of music. This is something that, you know, it's a, it's a craft you learn through Mm -hmm. a kind of apprenticeship, right? Well, nobody's coming to town anymore. Nobody's traveling anymore. And so we started hosting a series of live chats via YouTube live. Well, predictably, lots more kids and lots more non-kids, just generally interested people are benefiting from these Mm. chats. So whereas before we might've had a composer speak to a group of 20 kids yeah. Now we go on YouTube live and in a week we've had several hundred people or sometimes over a thousand people who have interacted with the same content, left yeah. comments. It's benefiting more people. It's also advancing the brand. You know, it's getting the Yosa oh, yeah. uh, brand out there as we're generating content that is about how music can change kids' lives. Yeah. And it's from two angles when you think about it. First of all, you know, from a director perspective, it probably, you know, the, the, the guest artist always came, you always hosted it. You never would have thought of putting up a camera and streaming that live. It's the forcing function uh, that I keep going back to that, that there's no other way to do it. So we're going to do it that way. But quite honestly, if you had called up one of these eminent composers and said, Hey, would you talk to your computer, which is going to be talking to all of our people, uh, as an event? No, I would like to come to the event. It would just wouldn't have occurred, but it's because nobody can go anywhere and it's the only way to do it. And wow, look at the impact that you're able to have. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where some of it was happening before, but we're going to see a lot more of it now. When we're able to get back in the concert hall, for example, I wouldn't be surprised if we have a lot more video of a composer introducing his or her piece of music. Because why not? Um, We could have done that before, and some people did. But I think it's going to be a lot more common to just say, hey, you know what? Can you put together a 45-second YouTube clip where you just tell us what made you think of this? And then we'll show it. And, you know, it's because we've just developed more of this idea of let's just reach out and ask. Um, Another example, Jeff, is that it's inevitable for youth music groups that kids are going to get sick, right? They're going to miss a rehearsal or college students are going to miss class, right? Well, now we're used to the idea that we need to have uh, the ability to access things remotely built in. So when we are able to return to rehearsing in person, we expect that we're going to stream every rehearsal to a private link where any musician who's not able to be there because they're quarantined because of contract tracing or they just have a cold can put that up on their screen, potentially play along at home, but at the very least hear the content, see what's going on so that when they come back in a week or two, they are, they haven't lost as much content and they were able to keep up uh, with what the rest of us are doing. That's and you fantastic. think, well, why weren't we doing that all along? But now we feel like we have to, and, and, and we're going to, you know, we're going to be able to take that forward. Well, how much better is it? And again, it's not to replace the rehearsal. It's to augment the the capability. Because if, you know, you think through that experience, the generally speaking, the you as much as you'd want, the the students going to learn the music at home and they're going to come together to learn how to play it together. Uh, And if you can't be there for that part, to be able to hear your or any of the other conductors um, feedback and direction on that. I mean, that's that's the gold right there. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many things that are like, you can learn all the notes at home, but at this one point, right in the middle of the piece where we hold this note out, how long are we going to hold that note? And how are we going to know when the conductor's going on? And what does that look like? And that's what rehearsal is all about, is how do we make transitions? What What is the way we start something? And so you can't learn that on your own. You really have to, to see what the conductor's doing and to hear what the rest of the orchestra's doing for that to make sense. So yeah. I, I hope that that's going to mean we're able to work, rehearse more efficiently. Um, and I wonder whether that'll also be part of the journey of professional musicians as well. Um, right. It's a little bit of a different situation, but... When I think about the the future of creativity and the future of music and the impact that, again, the forcing function that this has caused, my uh, my youngest son, he's 17, he's a musician for years, started with drums, but decided about a year ago he wanted to play guitar. Very motivated individual. And, um, and he's always taken drum lessons, but kind of self-taught and I play guitar, so I've shown him a few things. But um, but he's he's gravitated towards a style and and started to really listen to some different folks. Well, you know what? Nobody's touring, so everybody's looking for whatever work they can find. He's connected with a musician, a guitar player in the London area, and they've worked out a time once a week. They have their lesson. They sends him his money, you know, once a, you know, th- electronically, and uh, and he's able to get access to a caliber of musician in a style that's very specific that, uh, that he really wouldn't have had access to out of San Antonio, Texas, or more specifically where we are right now is out in the Texas Hill Country. I mean, there's nobody out here. So, uh, but he's got access to it and is continuing to learn his craft, which is, which is super interesting. I think musicians are doing that all over the world right now. They're, they're pursuing uh, virtual studies, summer camps right now, you know, there's all these legendary summer camps that, that have happened. And that's another big part of the journey of young musicians. You go away to Tanglewood or you go away to Interlochen and you have these summer experiences. Well, none of those are happening in real life, but many of them are going online. And as a result, they're now more financially accessible Mm -hmm. and they're more geographically accessible. So my daughter is going to be studying theater at Interlochen in, in Michigan this summer, but she's going to be doing it from her bedroom in San Antonio. Wow. And that is something that wouldn't have been thought of before, wouldn't have been offered. And it, it's no, it's not the same as being on stage doing a play mm-hmm. together, but she will nonetheless have a tremendous experience. There's also new artistic content coming out of this. One, of, There's mm. a lot of exciting examples, but the one that really blew me away is that there are 14 of the world's top classical violin soloists who came together and made a video of a piece by Johann Sebastian Bach called the Chaconne in D minor for violins. Massive landmark for the solo violin. One violin all by itself, just wailing. And it's this incredible like rock and roll epic piece of music for solo violin. Well, they split it up where each variation, because it's a piece that's built on mm-hmm. a recurring baseline, they each take a different, they each take turns and they pass it around. So they all recorded the whole piece, but then through the magic of video editing, they hand off to each other and you have 14 completely different approaches to the piece blended yeah. into this beautiful mosaic. And it's so fun. And nobody would have ever thought to do all of that work before now, because yeah. they would have wanted to show you their own Chacon. But this collaborative conversation is beautiful. And I think, I think we're going to see more of that, of you know, a new kind of musical content or a new kind of theatrical or poetic mm-hmm. content that wouldn't have been necessary or, or might have been possible, but nobody would have thought of it. 
But now, you know, we want to find ways to pass the baton to each other. It's the only way to connect. Yeah. So we spend a lot of time in, in this and in, in my regular day job having conversations around, well, what does it look like when you go, quote unquote, back to the office? A lot of people use the phrase back to work, but we're all still working. In fact, we're working harder than we did before. But uh, but when we think about it through this lens, through the lens of, of creativity, um, you know, there's stuff you have to do today to stay connected. And then when we can all come back together, what sticks behind? What are those main things? You've already mentioned a few from, you know, the, the rehearsals or the way that you will handle uh, auditions. Um, so I'm really excited to watch you in the future and to see how technology plays into it. I love the thought of the, the, the composer giving a preamble or even a musician from far, far away who's recorded their part with a click track that you as the conductor might keep the orchestra in time with. And now you have access to a musician, um, even if it's just in the context, again, of a masterclass or the opportunity to play along with someone, whether it's on in front of an audience or not. That's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I also think there's um, these dilemmas of how do you make the sound work when we're able to be back in the same space, but probably have to have more space between the different musicians. Mm. You're going to create, especially for large ensembles like orchestras, you're going to create some new challenges. You know, yeah. we're used to putting with the, with the Yosef Philharmonic, our most advanced youth orchestra, we're used to putting 96 to 102 musicians on stage. Mm. We can actually still do that in our performance venue because it's got a big stage. We yeah. can't do that in rehearsal. We can only rehearse in any of the rooms that we have regular access to. We can only rehearse about 50 of them with the, the right amount of social distancing. So we're going to rehearse them in modules, most likely, and then recombine them at the end of the process. Yeah. With that space between us, will there need to be plexiglass because mm. of trying to control um, the spread of aerosols and um, saliva? Or... And if, and I'm sorry, and, and if there is plexiglass, will we therefore need some sound reinforcement? Are we going to start using miking in an orchestra, which is not typically something we do unless we're trying to back up a rock band or someplace where you just need a lot more sound. Right. And once you mic one thing, what else, you, you usually have to keep start miking other things. And I think that we're, we're on the frontiers of discovering some cool sounds of just being like, you know what, this is a great opportunity. Let's, Go ahead and, and mic it up. And what would it be like if we added some reverb? Or what would it be like if we used some digital processing? And again, it's something that composers have experimented with, performers have experimented with in lots of styles. But in jazz and classical music, there hasn't been a lot of it. And I think right. there's an opportunity here that will grow out of just finding our way back to the stage and trying to work with the space we have to work with. Yeah, because you would have to potentially use sound reinforcement gives you the opportunity then to be able to treat that in what happens then. Back to the, how we started the conversation, what happens to creativity? Creativity then has the opportunity to, you know, really make some significant changes to or augmentations to uh, the classical music that we've known for, in some cases, hundreds of years. Right. I have a friend who's a jazz musician in Boston who's already started to talk about the idea of having his combo play at remote corners of the stage and having one member of the group just be essentially improvising at the mixing board. You know, wow. that while the musicians are playing, that you have another musician who's using their signals as an opportunity 
to change levels, but also to add and remove delay and chorus and mm -hmm. other effects to to improvise with their improvisations, to sort of make music on top of right. what they're already doing. And, you know, that, it could be could be stupid, but it could be amazing. And I think, again, could, it could have happened before. But the fact that we have to separate means, well, why not try and use that? How make an opportunity out of it. Yep. Make yeah. an opportunity out of it. Now, right. um, as somebody who has uh, been an audio engineer in the past and uh, worked in studios as well as live environments, uh, it makes me happy to hear of, of you mentioning the, the the mixer, the person behind the soundboard as a, a first-class musical citizen on the stage as well. So Absolutely. very encouraging. Believe me, I've been in so many situations where the sound engineer made the show and a few situations where the sound engineer didn't quite get us where we needed to be. But in general, yeah. you know, you work with somebody who does a great job and it, it enriches everything you do. And, but now there's, there's just, again, there's opportunities. And in some styles of music, this has been built in from the beginning. Right. But I yeah. think it's an opportunity for all of us to think more about presentation. Physical space is a good question too. What if, if we have to be spread out from each other, maybe we surround the audience or maybe, you know, there, there are, there are, maybe we move to different parts of the hall at different times with yep. each one of those being focused on how we have the right amount of space. It's just an opportunity to say, well, we can't do it the way we always do it. So what yeah. are we going to do instead? So to draw it then back in, as we think about you as the musical director for Yosa, and we, the, the doors start to open back up sometime, let's just hope it's midsummer and you get to come back and have a fall run at it. Um, what's, what's the plan for the fall? How can, how can um, folks, of course, keep up with what Yosa is doing? Because this is a global audience here. You're going to uh, hope we're hopefully going to widen your, your audience aperture just a little here. Um, how can people find more information about Yosa and and, and the media that you're creating. Well, absolutely. We, we, we have a YouTube channel where a lot of this stuff is living. Um, so if you just look for Yosa on YouTube, you mm -hmm. can find us and we've got our own content. We've got this new series that's going to be coming this summer called San Antonio sounds where we have youth orchestra musicians playing virtually with local singer songwriters in a wide variety of styles so it'll be Incredible. real, authentic, original San Antonio songs by local musicians, but with this new component of the virtual uh, orchestra accompanying them. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of other content there, these interviews with composers and conductors and all kinds of uh, artists from around the world. As we move into the fall, we are hopeful that we'll start to provide face-to-face -face instruction again and start making mm -hmm. music in the same room. We'll be doing it with fewer musicians in the room and with more space between us. We'll be looking at masks and we'll be looking at whether or not we need plexiglass, but that's going to lead to performance. And we know that by the time we get into the late fall and early winter that we hope we'll be giving live performances, mm. whether we give live performances or not, they will also be living uh, on the internet. We'll be streaming, we'll be having YouTube content after the fact and trying to move more into a situation of delivering content that way. And so I think it's, it's daunting, right? Like everybody, we're, we're, yeah. we're constantly asking ourselves, how will this play out? When will we get back to quote unquote normal? Mm -hmm. But as we've talked about today, I think whatever we get back to is going to be new and I'm excited about that. Yeah. And the journey to get there as fraught as it is, is also a journey of opportunity for us to find new ways to have musical experiences 
that change our own sense of what's possible for ourselves in our futures. And of course, that's primarily directed at our young musicians, but we want to do that for our audiences too. We want people to have new musical experiences that they've never had before. And that there is an opportunity here to find our way to doing that. Well, we know as musicians that musicians, you may lock them in a room, <clears throat> but they're going to continue to create. And, uh, and what you guys have done with technology, I just want to uh, you know, just compliment you on how you've embraced it, how you've stayed connected with your, your student musicians, and, uh, and not just maintained, but you've abs- absolutely grown them uh, with access to the additional uh, instruction from the different composers around the world through those master classes. It really is amazing to see what could be viewed as a very old industry uh, adopting current technology to stay, um, to stay active, to stay creative, because, um, uh, you just, you just need to. Absolutely. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's crucial for us to keep making the world new, keep making new things happen. That's, that's why we're musicians. Mm-hmm. Well, we spend a whole lot of time on this podcast, as I mentioned, talking about how technology impacts business, which ultimately impacts uh, the lives of those folks who work there, and hopefully always for the better. And in this context, it's it's really the same thing without necessarily the dollar signs associated with it. It is technology helping and driving um, the lives, uh, making making the lives of young musicians Uh, enriching them, making them better. So thanks for taking time, Troy. Uh, Everyone, of course, there will be links down in the description to be able to connect with Troy and the groups over at Yosa and their YouTube channels and and all other properties. So um, Troy, I want to thank you for being a part of this today. This has really been fascinating and we'd like to stay connected. Perhaps in the fall, we can get back together and you can tell me what new and amazing things you've done with technology for for the Yosa organization. Thank you, Jeff. I'd love to. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Well, isn't that just incredible? Troy and the team at Yosa, they've done some amazing work and continue to explore how technology can help music enrich the lives of the youth in San Antonio. I really like that idea of their master classes that they're holding where conductors and musicians from around the world can impact the kids. Now, technology sometimes wanders about a bit aimlessly, a solution looking for a problem. And the pandemic has certainly set the stage for technology to help creativity to continue. Now, speaking of reaching the world through technology, Rackspace is hosting a collection of events we call Solve Strategy Series, which covers everything that you need to know from multi-cloud to cloud-native innovation. Now, the first event has already been held, but the next one is scheduled for August 19th of 2020, and it focuses on managing technology budgets with shifting priorities, all things cost optimization. Now, there's no charge for the event, but you do need to register. Just head over to solve.rackspace.com. That's S-O-L-V-E dot rackspace.com. And look for the links to the Solve Strategy Series, where you can also learn about future events on such topics as cloud security, cloud native enablement, and data modernization. Now, here's what we have in store for you in our next episode. Anthos is this incredible 
Google Cloud powered software capability that can be layered on into the customer's environment, whether that environment is in the cloud, whether that environment is on-prem, you know, it's a stack of software assets and capabilities that the customer can embrace and get that connective tissue to everything that they're doing on-prem and off-prem. That's next time on Cloud Talk.